This episode is brought to you by Ticker. Ticker Ticker.com is focused on bringing institutional-level investment research to you, the individual investor. Ticker.com is powered by S&P Global Capital IQ and has coverage of over 50,000 stocks globally with financial data, estimates, valuation metrics, ownership percentages, transcript filings, news, and more. ValueHive listeners can join Ticker's free beta trial today at ticker.com forward slash hive. That's T-I-K-R dot com forward slash hive. All right, guys, this is Brandon from the Value Hive podcast. I have Matteo Francesetti. I feel like I messed that up. <laughs> I was saying it in my head for a little bit, but uh, Matteo is the founder and um, you know, basically creator of, 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 of Eight Sleep, which is a really interesting company. They're the sleep fitness company, kind of created their own little industry here. And I found Mateo after a Twitter comment where someone was trying to basically create an LVMH of all the interesting digital health brands, digital luxury health brands that are coming out to the market. And I commented, I said, well, who's going to be the CEO? And Mateo liked it. And I said, you know what? Let's see if Mateo can get on the podcast. And here we are. So that's just the power of Twitter. Um, but Mateo, you've got a really interesting background and you've always been an athlete. So you used to be a competitive skier, a tennis player, and a race car driver. So all of I've, I've, I've done two of those things. I've, I've, I've played tennis and I wrecked a NASCAR race car once. So I know what that's like. Um, but let's start with tennis. Who's your favorite tennis player? Oh, it's uh, Naomi Osaka, probably. Um, okay. But I grew up uh, looking at you know, the defenders and the the Nadal of the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've been watching the Australian Open um, as much as I can. I mean, it comes on at 11 yeah. o'clock, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's pretty late, uh, but it's great what she's doing. I mean, she's 23 years old and she's playing the best tennis in the world. And she has this incredible you know, background with the family coming from you know, different countries. I mean, it's, it's amazing. What's also interesting too is on the other side, Roger Federer, like he's still killing it and well into his forties. And it's, and it's funny that we're kind of mentioning this because he talks about sleep more than a lot of athletes that I've seen. He gets, I think it's like nine or 10 to 11 hours of sleep a day. And I just thought it was fascinating. I'm like, man, you've got someone that like yourself, that's played tennis before. You've got one of the greatest of all time. Like, I feel like there's a sponsorship opportunity there, but (laughs) yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you look at all the athletes as they start, aging for their standards from from lebron james to federer they all start talking about sleep because they start talking about recovery and they understand that they need to give enough time to their bodies to to really recover during during the day from the performance talk to us about two of your previous startups or maybe there was it's just kind of rolled up in one i think it's um, global investment renewables you spent some time doing some of that renewable energy stuff talk to us about what that was like and maybe what lessons you took from there and then after that, we can discuss the transition into eight sleep. Yeah, my first two companies, they were in clean tech, they were in solar. Um, so it, it's something I'm quite proud of because it has an impact on climate change. Um, it's funny because at the time, so the first one was when I was still in Europe, I didn't even know what a startup was. Um, in Italy, it's incredibly hard to raise money, almost impossible. So our company was profitable since day one. Otherwise, I would still be a lawyer and not an entrepreneur. Um, and so th- that is what I learned. And that is when I ha- started hiring the first people um, and, and the journey, the entrepreneurial journey started. Do you think 
starting in Italy gave you an advantage later when you started eight sleep because you mentioned that you had to be profitable almost from day one. And it's not necessarily, you know, saying that profits equal a great business. I mean, over time, yes, you should show profits, but do you think that having that discipline, at least at the startup stage, gave you an advantage when you went to transition to like a US based Silicon Valley where basically capitals flying out of a, um, you know, flying out of a water hose? Yeah, it's a good question. I, I would say probably no, most of the diligence probably comes from having been a lawyer first, that mm-hmm. you know, it really requires a lot of diligence in all that you do and being an athlete. So I have that mindset, but I think coming from there, um, I, it took a while to develop a network here, right? And so all the work that I did there as an entrepreneur and you know, the, the achievements I did there, they were not really counting here because it was a different game and different type of technology, right? Silicon Valley is completely different. And when people start running reference checks on you, to really try to see if you're real. Um, I had really no one that could vouch for me. Mm. Yeah, that's interesting. I didn't, I didn't think about that part. So you went from global investment renewable, something that you were that you're passionate about. At what point did you start thinking and mulling over this idea of eight sleep, or even just, you know, the idea of oh hey, I could make a mattress one day? Immediately after, and and the reason is when I started looking into sleep, and I didn't understand why sleep didn't change for two thousand years, and I was still spending a third of my life on a piece of dumb foam. Right? <laughs> there are Elon Musk is taking us to Mars, but I still spend. Uh, 30 years of my life, assuming I live uh, under the earth on, on a piece of dumb foam without technology, and I just pretend to wake up and feel feel refreshed. Mm-hmm. And so that connected with being an entrepreneur, working long hours, having been an athlete, so I was already caring about performance. I started saying, maybe we, we can fix this. Hmm. Got it. So you started eight sleep and what was the first iteration of the product that's something i'm always interested in is you know i know that you've got the full mattress now and you've got different levels of the mattress but take us back to the first days where you were iterating through the original product what was going through your mind uh (laughs) those were the hacky days where my co-founder max who is is the our cto he built the first prototype in his garage in san francisco we had a pajama party. We invited friends. They tried the product. They love it. And one of them gave us our first check. Uh, and we didn't even have a company at the time. So it was more wow. a side project. That is how everything started. Um, I was obviously the first one to sleep on the product. Max was building new new iterations and I was testing them at night. But yeah, there were cables everywhere. There were these boxes completely open, 3D printed. And... Uh, Sometimes there were software glitches. So it, it, it was quite an experience at the time. Yeah, it makes me think, because when I see the product now, I mean, it's, it's very elegant, it's very sleek. But when I hypothesize what the original product looked like, it almost is something out of like a, like a Frankenstein's laboratory yeah. where, you know, like God forbid water spills or something and like everything just <laughs> goes, up to, yeah. goes up in flames. <laughs> so, you, so you went from startup in the garage, getting that first check, you weren't even a company to going to Y Combinator, um, which is some, I guess, would say is the Harvard of, of startup and accelerator programs. It's very, very well known. Um, for those that don't know Y Combinator on this podcast, what is it and what's that program? And then what were 
some of the uh, processes like in getting there and then making that first pitch? Yeah, I don't know exactly how they pitch themselves, but yeah, I would say it's probably the Harvard of entrepreneurship um, and is a, a sort of incubator. So they receive thousands of applications and I think they, they have two batches per year and they just accept 100 companies per batch or something like that. So um, it, it's pretty hard to, to get in. But once you get in, you, you, know, you, you are being mentored by other entrepreneurs that were extremely successful. For us, they were Michael Seibel, uh, Gary Tan, and, and Dalton. Um, and so still today, I have a really good relationship with them. And Michael Seibel became the CEO of YC and Gary Tan. Uh, he's running Initialized. Um, and I mean, it was a great experience for us because these people are pretty practical. And so there is no bullshit in the middle. It's just, okay, get things done. Let's meet every two weeks. You have a very, you know, a very limited amount of time with me. Just show me progress. I can give you feedback and then go, go, go. And uh, the program is three months. After the three months, there is what is called demo day. So uh, all the companies, they present to a pretty large audience, mainly investors. And if things are going well and there is real progress, you can you can do a substantial round immediately after. How much of a change was that environment to, you know, that pajama party you had on that first product where when it's friends and family, they're very quick to point out the positives and they're very quick to get behind you. But in something like Y Combinator, when you've got these potential investors, it almost seems like it's the opposite. It's like, how quickly can we shoot down this idea? How, what was it What was it like kind of going through both of those scenarios and maybe even you know, mentally, emotionally trying to deal with some of the negative feedback you were receiving about the product? Yeah, I think... Um... So the, I think the beauty of YC is like they're really just honest friends. So the scrappiness is the same. They just push you to move fast and to talk to your to talk to your users. So it's just something like wise and savvy friends, I would say. Uh, but the the attitude is the same. I mean, some of the first units uh, were installed at Michael Seibel unit. I mean, Michael Seibel apartment because his apartment was just two floors down from our office. And, and Michael was living on it like, like me. Um, so they're, they're really scrappy. Um, and then, I mean, I think demo day could just be actually a, a, you know, a magical moment where things are going well, like it was our case. Then you're able to raise, uh, in our case, we raised $6 million in, in a couple of days immediately after. One of the things that I'm really interested about when I hear pitches, obviously we're working in hindsight, right? So, so far eight sleep has been very, very successful, but at the start of that, when you were originally pitching, I'm sure you had some people that were like, eh, I don't really get it. Whether that was at Y Combinator or that was friends and family at that stage, what were some of the common reasons why people uh, presented apprehension? Like, were they like, did they all kind of have the same thing? Like, ah, I don't get it. It's just a mattress. I don't see where this is going or something like that. Yeah, I think that was the most common. The second most common was, oh, but this is an hardware business model. And there were years after we launched where hardware was something investors they didn't want to touch because in 2015, 16, a lot of hardware companies, they didn't do well. Um, now, hardware is good again, thanks to Peloton and similar companies. But for a couple of years, being in hardware was pretty tough. Um, so those were the two key pushbacks. Now let's switch to the actual product itself because I'm 
really interested about. I mean, I, I want to get one, one of these days, I just have to, you know, fork over the, 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 the necessary cash. But when you think about it, I guess the value prop is pretty simple, right? You said it earlier, you're spending a third of your life on this thing. So really, if you're talking about a value proposition for a customer, you know, a bed is almost priceless because you're spending more time there than you are anywhere else. So was the original product just going to be the mattress pad or did you always have the full mattress in the background at some point? So we started with the pad because it was simpler and then we expanded to the mattress later, which was making sense because just in the US there are 30 million mattresses sold every year. And so you don't have to convince these purchases that are already happening. You are just the right fit for the right audience. Right. Um, and um, yeah, I mean, the, the value prop is, I mean, the vision is based on two things. We want to compress your sleep and we want to save your life. Compress your sleep means what if you could sleep, let's say six hours instead of eight, but get the same amount of rest. So what if technology can help you sleep faster um, and save your life? Because even if you're sleeping only six hours, it's still a, a very long know um, amount of time and so what if we could scan your body during that time uh, in order to let you know if there is anything wrong with your health or mm. sharing more about your biometrics so what if going to to bed was more valuable than going to your physician for for a physical test um, th these are the two things we want to achieve where we are now we are already achieving each of them with, obviously with, with a certain degree, not uh, we are not a completion of our journey. But on one side, we are improving your sleep with dynamic thermoregulation. So we change the temperature of your bed to maximize your sleep, fall asleep faster, get less uh, wake-ups, more deep sleep, more REM, things like that. And second, we are tracking everything about your biometrics, in particular, heart rate and HRV, respiration and sleep. I want to touch on a couple things. First, that whole philosophy that you just laid out, was that implanted from day one or did you guys basically come to that conclusion over time as you were developing the pad? Like the way, like, I guess, I guess another way to ask it is you understood the technology and you guys had the technology, but did you understand where maybe you would want it to go with all of the data and all the tracking from day one? We, we learned it quite early. So I wrote a memo about our vision already in 2017. And that is what then drove the investment from Cosla Ventures and with you know, Keith, Keith Raboy's leading the round. And so that is when I, I formalized in the memo our vision. And you said thermoregulation. One, I guess, uh, maybe, maybe it's a myth, but maybe it's just something I've always heard is that the colder the room, the better you are, you know, to, or the better your night's sleep is going to be. But I think, and forgive me if I'm putting words in your mouth, but you said that just having a cold room isn't actually enough. Like your body temperature, the needs of your body temperature change through the night. And I guess this is where aid sleep also comes in, maybe in a more nuanced way that people wouldn't necessarily see at first, but sometimes your body needs cold. Sometimes it needs warm. Talk to us about that. Yeah, you nail it. So when you hear people saying, oh, you should sleep at 68 degree. That's just wrong. And the reason is your body temperature changes during the day and in particular during the night. And so a fixed temperature will never be right. It could be right for 30 minutes. It could be right for an hour, definitely not for eight or nine hours. Yeah. And so what we exactly do is we apply machine learning and AI and based on your preferences and biometrics, we can change the temperature during the night to maximize your sleep. 
Got it. Now, when you were developing this product, were there any competitors doing anything similar like this at the market? I mean, I know the only other, there's two mattress companies that I can think of, but again, this, these aren't in, you know, the health and fitness of sleep. It's uh, Casper and Purple. Those two are the mattress companies that I know. Both are publicly traded. Um, I think Purple's like a $2 billion mattress company now, which is just crazy. But did you see any other competing products trying to do what you were doing? Yeah, so we are a, a weird animal because if you think of us in terms of DNA, probably the closest thing to us is an Apple with Apple Watch, right? They just use a form factor that already exists that everyone knows and they're transforming that into a medical grade device. So the type of engineers and the type of profiles we have in the company, they are Apple-like. Then yeah, the form factor looks like a, like a any other mattress, but we don't have a foam expert. We just work with the largest and best foam manufacturer in the world. We use their knowledge. All our expertise is in machine learning, AI, sensors, and sleep enhancement. Um, and so that is why we are a hybrid. If, if I think of the closest thing to us is Apple, I don't think yeah. Apple will ever do our form factor. I don't think of Purple and Casper like competitors. Got it. Got it. Yeah. It's almost like a, uh, and you know, this is actually a great, great segue into kind of creating your own industry, but, but it's like uh, Apple meets, you know, Casper meets Peloton meets like whoop or something. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, it's a lot of, yeah. A lot of our customers, they call us the Peloton of sleep. Right. And, and we, cause we have this vision of what we call sleep fitness, we have the sleep fitness company. And what that means is sleep is not a waste of time. Right in the 80s and the 90s, people were saying, oh, I'm going to sleep when I'm dead. Sleeping or going to sleep is like going to the gym. It's something that you are doing for your body in order to be fit, in order to be energized, and in order to live a, a longer and healthier life. If you don't do that, if you don't sleep enough, it's like not going to the gym and just eating junk food. It's still mm -hmm. part of the same thing. I've had periods in my own life where I felt gung-ho about waking up at 4 30 5 o'clock in the morning uh there's a certain podcaster named jocko willink that <laughs> made me made me do it uh because he 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 always he always wakes up at 4 30 takes a picture of his watch and he's like let's go time to grind <laughs> time, time to grind and so i was i was i was doing that for a while but then i realized that my body was getting kicked like a few weeks later almost almost like a lag effect and yeah. um, i never i never really appreciated the the power of sleep and then just recently I've started to implement like an actual schedule. So I'm in bed around 9.30 every night. And then I wake up around 6.30, 7 o'clock every day. And sure. just just doing that for a week alone has just been tremendous for my sleep. And then when I wake up, I'm not tired. Yeah. Actually, when people, I, I have a similar schedule to yours. And I always tell people, if you want to go on vacation without going on vacation, the only thing you should do is to sleep one hour longer every day for a week and then you tell me how you feel yeah <laughs> yeah it's truly it's truly incredible yeah. um so let's let's get into this idea of creating your own industry because i think there's power in framing it how you did saying that you're a sleep fitness company and i know to a lot of uh traditional investors they're going to look at that the way they looked at peloton where 
people assume Peloton was just a bike company where they just sold a piece of hardware in someone's garage that was overpriced that no one's going to use. But as it turns out, Peloton's way more than that. It's about building a community. It's about building, you know, this sense. And so I get that with eight sleep as well. Um, you know, what made you think of framing the company like this? Was there, was there any sort of discussion at the beginning when you were making the mattress? Like, Hey, this is how we should frame it. Because if we frame it this way, it's going to have the biggest impact. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a good question. And we really frame it like that in, um, in 2017. And it was a vision of one of my co-founders, Alexandra, she runs a brand and, and marketing. And it goes back to a couple of things. First, I think to our DNA, in particular, my DNA as an athlete, I have always been into fitness and, and health. And so we never accepted the vision of Sundays with the waffles in bed. We have always been thinking of sleep as an activity to really re-energize you and elevate your peak performance. And so then she came out uh, with this concept of sleep fitness that really represents this concept where going to bed is like going to the gym. It's go you're, go you're going to do something that will make you fit. And that is how we define uh, you know, being sleep fit. Um, and it was a, an angle that almost no one else has, right? Because there are all these mattress companies about you know, lazy sleep, comfy, in bed, waking up late on a lazy Sunday. But instead for us, is this is the recovery. is a moment where your body is really re-energizing so tomorrow you can be your, the best of yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, I think that really resonates with the market. And then in that, there's kind of two ways. Yeah, and you mentioned this in a prior podcast. I forget which one it was, but there was kind of um, opportunities on both sides. You said to capture, you know, 10 to 20 X of a greater share in the coming years than kind of, than kind of where you are now. And those two sides are, you know, one more customers and then two product iteration. And so maybe if we can kind of break that down, talk to us about customer acquisition and, you know, kind of how that evolves over time. I mean, you know, eight sleep, it is not the cheapest mattress out there, obviously for a reason with all the technology. So how are you thinking about acquiring customers? And in that sense, sleep and mattresses usually are only just a one-time purchase. At least that's my opinion. Um, it's, you know, a one-time purchase, you buy it once and, you know, you never buy another mattress again. So how do you think about it from getting the customer perspective and then also product iteration and trying to, you know, generate more revenue from, from that side? Well, so I, I think what is happening is once you go and you start using it, sleep, you never go back. The reason is we are delivering a benefit that hopefully you enjoy. And so people that are already in health and wellness and maybe people that already have a Wi-Fi connected fitness device like a Peloton, a Tonal or a Tempo, they already understand the concept of a, an upfront purchase and, and then potentially a subscription. Um, the, the most helpful thing for us is really word of mouth. A huge part of our revenue is word of mouth. So just people referring as. And what we have noticed is the most effective marketing tool is when it's not as pitching the product, but is when it's secondary voices. So other people talking about that and you start hearing about as five, six, seven times. At that point, if you're looking for a bed, you just buy ours, it becomes obvious, or you just buy the cover that has the same technology can retrofit your current bed because maybe you sleep hot or you want to improve your performance. The interesting thing that we did is if you buy the pod and tomorrow we release the new technology, you don't have to change the whole bed. You can just change the top layer. And so substantially mm, okay. at a fraction of the price, you can always have the latest technology. Think of what you do with iPhone. 
right? There is the trading program of iPhone where you now you give back your old iPhone and they give you 400 bucks back when yep. you buy the new one. It's a similar concept where at a fraction of the price, you can always have the latest technology. That's so interesting because as soon as you mentioned that the, you know, you can, you can get the pad and swap or swap the top layer. I immediately thought of a podcast with Gavin Baker, where he mentioned Apple's competitive advantage, which was exactly that, where the, the value of the previous editions, iPhone acts as a subsidy for the new one. So while the new iPhone is, you know, 1800, 1600, it's actually not because everyone's got the last year's edition so it's really 400, 500 bucks. And I think that's actually really interesting that you're doing that within within the mattress. So talk to us then about the unit economics of the business. I mean, as 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 much as you can, I know you're still a private company. So when you when you think about unit economics, there's obviously the one-time sale of the mattress, and then there's you know the iterations of the product. But then you've also mentioned this subscription type business, which I assume is a really you know high margin type type uh, type of subscription. How are you thinking about the unit economics in terms of a per mattress basis? Yeah, always there is a, a the upfront hardware purchase. Um, a lot of our users also buy accessories, or they come back and they buy more um, physical products even later. Um, and then in the future, there could be or services, right? So similar to the trajectory of Apple. Apple, historically, you know, they, they became Apple with hardware, but now they are getting into services. Um, and I have the same vision for, for eight sleep. We need to become the place where you go for everything you need about sleep. Got it. Got it. So almost creating like a, uh, like a through, through the app, everything you need, like whether it's, you know, sleep doctors or something and you know all your all your questions you can get connected with a specialist right then and there everything through eight sleep very interesting all right let's move now to the data portion which is where i think is the most interesting part of this whole business is the tremendous amounts of data you have on people's sleep and people's health as they sleep and on the website you say that there's 1.5 terabytes of sleep data now this it's probably more, um, you know, it obviously only grows every time, every time, every time you release it. So how much of a competitive advantage is that data against whether it's direct competition or even peers trying to enter this era of sleep fitness and digital sleep health? Yeah, it's, it's definitely a big moat. I think the part that excites me the most are two things. First, can our data in the future unlock professors and researchers to discover things that they didn't even know they existed because they exist because they didn't have the data, right? The amount of data we collect in one night is probably more than what most of the professors or scientists have seen in their whole career. Because yeah. until yesterday, the only chance was to go to a sleep clinic where they you know it's this foreign environment, they cover you with sensors, it's not your bedroom, and it's one single night. But yep. instead, now we have some customers that they slept on our products for years, every single night. So one is how can we unlock medicine? Uh, I would love that. And secondary is all these preventative medicine concept that is really important to us. And uh, through machine learning and AI, we will be able to predict potential diseases before they even happen. So what if in five or 10 years from now, we could detect cancer, not day one, but before it happens because we start seeing some changes in whatever, organs or other biometrics in, in your body. And that is the part that excites me if I 
think of my own professional career in the next 10, 20 years and where I want to spend my time. So you mentioned that you guys calculate heart rate and then I guess heart variability rate, I assume body temperature. What other kind of metrics do you track that would, you know, be uh, very pertinent to someone like a researcher or a doctor? So right now, obviously we don't diagnose anything uh, that can change, might change in the future. But to our technology and the clinical trials we are running, we should be able to see atrial fibrillation. We should be able to see arrhythmia. We should be able to see if you are getting sick in three, four days from now, because usually three, four days before you get the flu, you have the flu, uh, your heart rate at rest changes. Um, we can see snoring. We can see sleep apnea. Uh, and then obviously we see all the, the information about, about your sleep. Um, right now, what we do is we just display your heart rate, we display your HRV, we display your respiratory rate, and we uh, display everything about your sleep. How do you think about monetizing that data in, you know, say three, five and 10 years? I know that the vision, the vision makes sense, but how does it, how do you, how do you turn that data into dollars? I guess. Yeah, I think, um, we don't fully know that yet. I think if there is a way where we can find a win-win solution for users, where we can help them with their own health uh, in exchange of a cost that now we need to cover our work and our servers and everything. Uh, That is, I think, what would be win-win for for everyone. What do you think about the tremendous interconnectedness between health and fitness apps? I feel like just over the last three years you've seen i mentioned it earlier you've got the whoop strap you've got the aura ring um you know you've you've got the eight slap or the 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 eight sleep app you've got the apple watch how do you envision this space over the next you know five years is it something where there's going to be one platform that houses all of this or is there a way where everything becomes interconnected and you can kind of see everything like how does eight sleep interact with apple watch which then interacts with your whoop strap and all of that stuff so the first thing that will happen is the majority of these devices, they will become medical grade or with an accuracy comparable to medical grade devices, independently from how they define themselves and the certifications, right? But the, the accuracy will start being really high. Um, second, uh, all the engineering teams, they will start becoming real experts at looking at correlations which is what customers want and what is still missing in, in the field. And so how does my sleep change if I train in the morning, if I train in the evening, or if I don't train? Mm. Uh, and everyone is different. How does alcohol impact my sleep? Uh, right. Should I stop three hours before, two hours before, or I cannot touch alcohol? What about caffeine? So all these kind of things is what will really happen. Right now, there is very little knowledge. There are just rule of thumbs. Um, that are generalized, which doesn't make sense because health is personalized um, and there is just no data. But now we are all collecting enough data and soon you will see the result. Right. When I first read the eight sleep kind of pitch and was, and was studying about this, about this podcast, I kept thinking about the corollary between what eight sleep, you know, what you guys are doing and what Roku did with their, you know, software and hardware, where it seems like you guys are basically getting the mattress into the person's home, which is, you know, that, that, that form factor mattress. And then where you really differentiate 
is the data. And then that's how that competitive advantage grows over time. I mean, I know that you guys have the patented technology, but it just seems like this defensible data set, once you implement that and once more people adopt it, the data you'll be able to generate, which then you'll be able to, you know, monetize into research and, you know, give to a bunch of other people and have it interconnect and play. That's where I think this becomes really exciting is you can't just have another sleep company come in and try to do 1.5 terabytes of data all, all overnight. It's just not going to happen. Yeah. I mean, is is the snowball effect. The, I would say, what, so there are two dimensions. One of is the amount of data, but the amount of data per se is relevant up to a certain point, meaning hmm. it's not just the quantity, but is once you have a certain amount of data, you use that data to train your algos, to improve them, then you ship the algos, you collect more data, and based yeah. on this new, more advanced data, you retrain the algos. In parallel, you do clinical trials where you get uh, um, uh, truth data and you keep refining your algos. And so even if you are a $100 billion business, uh, it just takes time independently yep. from the money that you have because you need to go through cycles of iteration. And that is mm-hmm. not something we can compress. You don't buy time. Right, right. No, that was, that was, that was actually very well said. I want to go back to your bio before you started uh, the company again i know that we brought up you know the tennis and you know the race car and the skiing um you know what what type of race car driving did you do was it formula one type stuff or and how did you how'd you get into that uh so my dad was uh what is called a gentleman driver right so he was already racing during the weekends he was he has been two times italian champion when i was a kid during the weekend i was traveling with my parents going to his races and i was saying cars all the time so that is how i developed the passion um when i was a teenager i raced with go-karts uh which is you know really these small cars and is what everyone getting into f1 drives i also did uh, uh, a couple of races with some drivers and then they became professional drivers some of them also went into f1 and then i did uh, european uh, hill climbing italian and european uh, so you drive cars uh, on, on, on hills and you try to go as fast as possible. Then I did the F3. And the last race I did was the 12 hours of Abu Dhabi uh, with, a, with a GT car. Wow. That's, I finished uh, third there. So I'm really proud that's impressive. of that. Did you have any yeah. like crazy, crazy wreck experiences? Like just massive crashes that you yeah. luckily walked away from? Yeah, yeah I had two. At the time, I was still young and stupid, and it was mainly on, on, on my dad probably, and, my, and my mom to <laughs> be more worried than me. Um, I, uh, yeah, I, I had to, the car was destroyed in those two accidents. I, nothing happened to me, but yeah, I was really lucky. Would you ever want to race in Le Mans if you had the chance? Yes. Hundred percent. Yeah, I, I, it, it's on my radar. If one day I can, my wife already knows Le Mans, Daytona. That that would make me really happy. Yeah. No. The 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 uh, the Daytona race just happened, and I was actually talking to a friend of mine, and they uh, they discussed that they saw the movie Ford versus Ferrari, and I haven't seen yeah. it yet. Um, but yeah. you know, it's 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 just one of those things where I think it, I think that would be a great movie to watch. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I never go to, to the movies, but uh, I would have gone to the movies for that. But then I think there was COVID and we watched it, uh, I think, on, on Apple TV. But yeah, I watched that. It's pretty cool. 
Have you noticed, speaking of COVID, have you noticed an increase in maybe it's word of mouth activity or just inbound traffic due to COVID and people trying to take preventative measures with their sleep? Because you mentioned that you can kind of see when you're getting a cold or when you're getting the flu three to four days out. I feel like in a post-COVID world, that's going to be huge. Yeah, so we don't advertise that. So, and we don't even notify you that, at least yet for now. Um, yeah. We have seen obviously an acceleration. It's not exactly like fitness because now you can't go to the gym. And so if you want to stay fit, you need to buy a, a Peloton or a Tonal or equivalent. Um, but yeah, people are becoming way more health conscious. And I think we will uh, benefit of that. And they will benefit hopefully from, from our work. Got it. I want to wrap up into some of the concluding thoughts and questions that I have. And, you know, since you're still, you know, you're growing, growing really fast, why, why Combinator success? What are some of the things that you're still working on that maybe keep you up at night or some of, some of your biggest challenges of you, as you move forward with this company, raising more money and, and, and growing, obviously there's, there's different challenges now than there were when you were first starting. So what challenges are you trying to tackle now that uh, have your attention and keep you up at night? I, I could talk for probably a couple of days about <laughs> what keeps me up at night. Hopefully um, nothing, thanks to your eight sleep mattress. <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I do my best to sleep well, but maybe when I'm awake, there are things that keep my mind racing. Um, the funny thing in startups is the, the better you do, because it means you're moving faster, uh, the more broken you are. Um, and so there are more pieces that are broken because everything is happening faster, right? If you start growing faster, then there is something broken everywhere. And, and so the key thing is, okay, what are the priorities and how do I make sure that I tackle them in a sequential, a sequential order uh, in terms of importance and moving at a very fast pace? because you cannot do too many things in parallel or almost nothing right. in parallel. And so you need to say, okay, what do I do first? Or what do I let my team do first? And how do we make sure that we get it done as quick as possible? Because there is just still a laundry list of things that would need to be fixed. So what are, what are some of those things? Maybe, maybe just kind of your top two that, that, that have your full attention right now. I mean, first hiring is always the biggest challenge. It's, it's really time consuming. It's really hard to find uh, the best people or the best people it's really hard to now push them and attract them um, i think we are lucky because we have such a powerful uh, vision and mission for the world that a lot of people right now and pretty after covid they want to join a digital health or a healthcare company so that helps but people hiring um, and then obviously always product uh, okay how do we delight our users and then as a consequence then there is growth so these are the three dimensions. Got it. Um, when it comes to brand awareness and, you know, I know the, you know, the product works and people, people love it. And on a previous podcast, you said, you know, one of the, one of the challenges now that you have is just propelling that brand awareness and getting eight sleep into the mind of people when they think mattress. Um, what are, what are some steps you're doing now to kind of supercharge that, whether it's, you know, paid marketing. I don't know if you do any paid marketing or whether it's, you know, trying to get uh, Instagram influencers, athlete sponsorships, like how are you thinking about getting that brand where you want it? Um, 
I think first we need to stick with our vision, right? This unique vision of sleep fitness. And we need to work on uh, from, from partnership to asset that really communicate this angle. Uh, we are not for everyone. Um, we don't pretend to be for everyone, but we are for the people that really think of sleep as a moment to enhance their, their peak performance. Got it. All right. So let's move on now to kind of the final concluding questions here. Um, where can people go to find out more about you, Mateo, and then obviously eight sleep and the products that you offer? Yeah. So please go to eight sleep.com, uh, eight sleep, eight, like the number. So E I G H T sleep.com there on the homepage. There is also a reference to my Twitter. I'm pretty active on Twitter. I interact with customers and current customer and potential customers. So if you ping me there, um, I'll get back to you uh, for sure. What are some of the craziest complaints you've had from whether, whether it's Twitter or email that people just <laughs> going about the product that just make you laugh? Sometimes pets, uh, sometimes oh. our pets using, using the bed. And, and so customers, they see data during the day at the time before COVID, then customers <laughs> were seeing sleep data from, from the day and it was the pet sleeping on, on the bed. I can imagine the heart rate monitors probably tripping out like, what is happening? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. That's actually an interesting part too, because I was like, if you've got a pet, you probably should let it not, or you should probably keep it off the bed for the sake of the data. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's fascinating. Um, but if and then, the bed is warm, the pet will love the warm bed. And right. so they will keep coming to sleep uh, on, on the bed. Sounds like you need an eight sleep uh, dog fence. That's just like another yeah. ancillary product you can add okay, right exactly. to the product suite. There. Yeah. <laughs> no royalty on that, by the way. That's that's yeah. that's pro bono from me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So last, last question here. Um, if you could have dinner with one person from the past or the present, who would it be and why? Um, a person I would like to do it. There are two. Uh, okay. uh, so there is in motorsport, Ayrton Senna. Uh, because okay. he has been one of the best um, and people that are alive and not because of any political vision, but I'm just intrigued by his story is Barack Obama uh, for his origin, where he came from. And I would love to talk to him and, and see what he has seen as a president. Um, so it's funny. Are, it's funny you mentioned yeah, it's funny. It's funny you mentioned Obama because uh, the episode that's going out uh, tomorrow, because I'm recording this on the 18th, the episode that's going out tomorrow uh, with Kristen, uh, Kristen LaFrance, she chose President Obama as hers as well. No so yeah, 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 I'm seeing, I'm seeing, I'm seeing a lot. I mean, he just seems like someone that you would love to play 18 holes of golf with. And exactly. Just, you know, you know, he, he seems someone nice that he has seen incredible things. And I was like, look, I would love to meet that guy and, and have a dinner together chatting about yeah. what, uh, what's being the president of the United States. Yeah. I mean, I feel like at the end of the day, too, you know, regardless of regardless of the decisions and where they lie, like someone like that. And then also George W. Bush at the end of his term, like just, you know, he seems like someone that's really fun to be around. Just, just, just a genuinely yeah. good person that, you know, um, you know, regardless of where you lie, I think it would be a great, a great conversation. Yeah. So, 
Well, Mateo, this was awesome. Um, I'm glad that we got a chance to do this just as a spur of the moment thing off of Twitter. Um, I'm probably going to keep doing that because I'm successful with this one. And I look forward to your continued growth with 8sleep. I look forward to me one day getting an 8sleep mattress and just telling you about it and giving you giving you my feedback about how much better sleep I'm getting. And um, I know that the listeners are going to enjoy listening to the startup story and kind of how you're thinking about the company going forward and what it means to be a data first sleep fitness company. So thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure.